encourage you to turn over to page 3. There you'll find our scripture passage from the book of Ephesians, as well as uh, our sermon outline for this morning. We're continuing our study of, of Ephesians, and particularly the second half of the book, where Paul is, is really applying and extending what he's taught us in the first three chapters, uh, that this transforming salvation of Christ, uh, this rescue that takes those who are far off and brings them near, all because of Jesus, it's through grace uh, that we're saved through faith, and that then Paul applies in the second part of the, of the letter, uh, affects our daily lives. The good news of Jesus flows into our daily walk. In fact, that's the very language he's been using again and again, our walk. And he's told us because of Christ, we are to walk worthy of our calling as we live out our new identity, that we are to walk in love as Christ has loved us. We are to walk as children of light uh, in, in purity and holiness because of the purity and holiness of Christ. And this week, we're, we hear Paul encourage us to walk carefully. To walk carefully. So let's read God's word uh, together. First, uh, reading Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. So let's give attention to God's word. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. Our great God, this is your very word. The Spirit has breathed out these very words and brought them to us. And we pray for his help, his understanding. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would be at work in each heart, uh, that we might know the goodness of your grace and the, and the footsteps of Christ that we are to walk in, and that you would encourage each one. For we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Walk carefully. Walk carefully. I, I once uh, went with some family and friends to do a uh, ropes course, treetops ropes, ropes course. You know what these, these things are, this, this obstacle course made out of all these different uh, different challenging obstacles that you got to walk through and climb past and so forth. This particular one up in the treetop, some 80, 100 feet suspended off the ground. There you were trying to walk across logs that were free to roll and swing and, and swing from one moving platform to another moving platform. And each challenging obstacle getting a little more difficult than the last one. Uh, now, of course, I was safe in the midst of it. Uh, there was this steel cable that ran above your head at all times and a uh, harness around your waist and attached uh, not just by one, but by two different safety lines. So I was safe. But still, 80 feet up on the air, this one actually on the side of a, a hill, a mountain, uh, you're, you're walking through these things that are moving to and fro and you walk carefully. 
you have this sense that even though you're safe, there's the need to focus. Uh, there's the need to pay attention. There's the need to walk carefully. And that's what Paul's telling us about uh, this morning. And he's telling us that, that there is challenging situations around us and before us. Life in a fallen world, uh, a spiritual enemy, uh, enemies both without and within. And so the road of, of following Christ all the way to glory is one that is challenging, one that we'll need to walk carefully. Uh, we're safe, right? Safer than, than any steel cable above your head is Jesus. Uh, connected to him through the Holy Spirit, and his, his blood purchasing you, uh, the Spirit binding you and keeping you safe for all eternity. If you know Christ and are trusting in him, you are absolutely safe. So it's not walk carefully so you can be safe, but because you are safe in Christ, and yet walking through this world in the confidence of that safety, Paul says walk carefully. Walk carefully. He's going to tell us, back later in chapter 6, more about the spiritual dangers that surround us, and the spiritual battle that surrounds us. But in this passage, he just focuses more on practical details about how to walk carefully. Uh, practical details about how to walk. It actually reminds me of, very, of a very specific time, uh, a specific point when I was up in the treetops swinging about. Uh, when I was, the particular obstacle was this really narrow uh, board log type thing that was suspended, so it was free to swing. And there I was trying to walk across it, uh, holding on to the cable above my head, but my feet were swinging wildly under me, and I was desperately trying to regain my balance so I could walk carefully. And in the midst of swinging about, uh, I heard this voice from below me. Right down on the ground, some 80 feet below me, uh, was one of the staff members who called up to me and said, don't hold the cable above your head, hold the ropes at your sides. So I switched my hands over, and sure enough, I regained my balance quite quickly. That's essentially what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Here is one, the Apostle Paul, who, who like that staff member, knows the obstacle course very, very well. And he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who we'll see walks this course perfectly, uh, here's, the, here's Paul through the Spirit calling out to us practical details about how to walk carefully. And so we hearken to his voice together. Uh, we listen to what he has to say and what the Spirit says to us uh, about this walk. Now, of course, it's all on the foundation that that we've known and embraced Ephesians 1 to 3 and the good news of the gospel. Uh, so, in other words, you need Jesus and to be clinging to him. Right? So if you're not clipped into the safety line of Jesus, there's where you start. Uh, don't even attempt to walk forward following God without Christ. So cling to him first and then safe in him and his finished work, then you can really understand and benefit from Paul's advice to walk. Carefully. So let's look at uh, really Paul's three different aspects, three different commands about walking carefully. Now uh, we'll see as we go that each of them is is parallel to the other in that they all have a command, a, a contrast, and then a specific expression of what it looks like to live this out. Okay, so we'll take them one at a time 
and Paul gets more specific and more detailed as we go along. So we'll spend a little bit shorter time on the first two, more on the on the third. So the first aspect is walk as wise. Walk as wise. This is verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So first command of walking carefully, walk as wise. The very understandable contrast there, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, wisdom, you might know, is a huge theme in Scripture. Uh, in several books dedicated exclusively to it. Think Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, but other books as well. There are wisdom psalms and New Testament wisdom literature like James, all focused in on biblical wisdom, which is taking really good truth of who God is and what God has done and bringing it to the street level. Uh, knowing about uh, good theology of who God is and what he's done, and then allowing it to give you spiritual street smarts. It's spiritual street savvy. That's biblical wisdom. And, and Paul gives us a great example of this right here uh, as he gives the expression of uh, one expression of wisdom, uh, verse 16, about how we use our time. And so he says, uh, walk as not as unwise, but as wise. And here's one key expression, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Some of you might be familiar with the older translations, and you hear in your head the phrase, redeem the time. Uh, redeem the time. That, that's actually a, a little more literal translation. Uh, the ESV gives the sense of it. It's, it. The implication is make the best use. Uh, but that redeem language is the, the language of buying something up, buying something back. is what you would use... And scripture uses to talk about setting the captives free, right? You pay the ransom, you redeem the captives, right? You, you purchase, you buy. And so probably this language here is, it is, thrust is make best use of the time, but probably with that hint of buying back, buying up. Uh, there's an investment, there's a, there's a cost as we, as we buy up the time, as we use it well. Because, Paul says... The days are evil. The days are evil. It's a pretty strong statement. It's not just uh, make good use of time because time flies. Well, it does. But, but, but he says much more than that. Uh, not just now, here today, gone tomorrow, take advantage. But make the best use of time, redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, in chapter 6, he's going to use this language of the evil day again. Uh, it's in the context, context of Paul encouraging us uh, to take our stand against the powers of darkness. And as he paints this picture of this spiritual battle in chapter 6, and talks about us taking our stand in the evil day. And here's that same language of evil day, evil days, uh, in chapter 5. And so I think what we are meant to be picturing here is make the best use of the time because there is a spiritual battle raging. Uh, there's a battle around us and even, even in us. Uh, that's something that's been true all the way back to Paul's day and beyond, uh, and is certainly true of our day as well. These evil days, the spiritual battle, it, it should sober us. Sober us. Not, not scare us, 
right? We go, go back to, uh, to, to Christ. We're safe in him. We have that, that safety line. We're not making the best use of the time because we're, we're frightened we're going to fall. Uh, but make the best use of the time because we're, we're sobered uh, by the environment around us. There's a spiritual battle raging in our day and in every day. Uh, and so uh, clinging to Christ, we realize, yeah, th- th- their days are evil. There is a battle that's raging. And so you're sobered to make the best use uh, of the time and the opportunities around us um, to advance God's agenda. Right. We're, we're fighting for our king. He's the general. Uh, so it's it's his plan that we're seeking to put forward, which is a little bit different than if uh, than the the productivity productivity gurus or productivity blogs. Maybe you read some of these, listen to some of these guys. Very helpful tips uh, about how to use your day and schedule, and it can be great, greatly beneficial. But m- almost always, it's uh, here are these tips for using time well to advance your goals, to give you the life that you want. Uh, well, here it's we make the best use of the time because there's a spiritual battle raging, and so we want to follow the general's plan, uh, the king's direction. It's not about uh, making your life achieve your goals, but how do I advance God's purposes in me and around me? And so this this takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to live wisely. And so uh, we're going to need to think, each of us, and pray, each of us, what does this look like for me? What does this look like for you? Great thing to do uh, as as uh, as a group, as a family. Maybe this is dinner table conversation this afternoon. What does it look like for us uh, to to use the time well, to redeem the time, knowing the battle's raging, uh, knowing God has put us here, given us these uh, jobs, these relationships, put us in this in this place. What does it look like to use the time well? Um, what does it look like to have a, a good biblical balance? We're not just talking about a workaholic-type approach to life. In fact, biblically, wise living has a good combination of work and rest. Uh, but you can think through together, is the, the free time that we have actually refreshing us? Right? Now, am I being refreshed? Now, we can easily uh, miss the refreshment and go to just amusement, right? just frittering away the time. It doesn't actually refresh you and strengthen you for the battle. It just, it just fills the time. And so maybe you, you think together, okay, well, maybe there are some, some things I need to cut out and other things I need to add to be refreshed, uh, to invest in the opportunities that really last in the battle uh, for eternity. What does that look like for you? Well, I don't know exactly, but, but we pray about it together. We talk about it together. Uh, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's what wise walking looks like. And we're, we're helped in that by the next point that Paul makes, the next command that he gives. These build on one another. As he talks about walk, walking with understanding. Uh, therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Walking with understanding. He begins with a contrast, not as foolish, not foolish, not ignorant, but instead understanding, knowing the will of God. Now here, will of God being not God's secret plan that we know he's working together according to his purpose, but this will of God in the sense of what God reveals, what he tells us, what he shows us. 
So it's not trying to, trying to divine the, the, the secret things of God that belong to God, but the revealed things that he said and given to us. Uh, in this way, it's very similar to what we talked about last week with verse 10 of Ephesians 5, uh, of understanding what pleases God, finding out what's pleasing to the Lord. Remember that? We, if you were with us, we talked about uh, finding out what pleases the Lord and, and doing that, kind of like we do on Mother's Day, not, not a job interview where we're trying to, to wheedle our way into the family. No, in Christ, we're already in the family, and we're already safe, to use our picture this week. We're already clipped to the safety line of Christ, and we're safe in him. But it's that same idea of, well, what does please the Lord? What does the will of the Lord look like? What pleases him? Let's do that. And we gotta, we're called here, as we were last week, to understand it, to, to seek it out. And that has us, above everything, uh, seeking to know the scriptures. Uh, that is what God says, uh, 2 Timothy 3, God says, equips believers for every good work. Uh, gives us what God has revealed, his revelation, so that we're equipped for every good work that we'll face. Uh, trusting that as we know the scriptures, the Spirit will illumine them and apply them uh, to our lives so we know what his, his will looks like. Now, as we spend time in the scriptures, it, it might surprise us at different points, uh, thinking specifically about the will of the Lord. Um, it, we might get answers that surprise us. A lot of times, you know, when Christians talk about the will of God, they tend to narrowly focus in on specific individual decisions. Right? Should I take this new job or stay with my old one? What's the will of the Lord? That's not a bad question to ask and pray about, for sure. Uh, but but we, might be, we might be thinking and praying, what's the will of God in this decision? And we go to Scripture, and we run across a passage like 1 Thessalonians 4, where God says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your growth in holiness. So we're thinking, should I take the job, should I not take the job? And God says, holiness Maybe that's not the answer we expected. But God gives us more of his heart. It's actually his will is bigger uh, and deeper uh, than we think. Uh, it's reminding ourselves that as we think about uh, the will of the Lord, God isn't our life coach. Uh, he's, he's not the life coach who comes alongside to, to, to help you navigate and make your dreams come true. Uh, God's our king. Uh, God is building his kingdom. And he's building his kingdom by transforming hearts and lives. And, and that's his plan. That's what he loves. That's what he's doing. And that's what he's going to do in you. Uh, and, and we seek through the scriptures and through the illumination of the spirit to, to know that plan better. And, and to go after those things. What's his will? Well, among other things, holiness. Uh, let's do that. Let's seek that. Lord, what does that look like here? Do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, walk as wise, walk with understanding, walk filled with the Spirit. And Paul spends most of his time here, and gets more specific here, not just one expression of it, he gives four different expressions, uh, connected expressions of walking filled with the Spirit. Uh, verses 18 to 21 are all connected together. Uh, he begins with a contrast, and this contrast is a little bit different because it doesn't automatically make sense to us. 
Right, the other ones were obvious, okay? Walk is wise, not unwise. I get it, wise, unwise. They're the opposite. But here he says something interesting by contrast. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there, there's his contrast this time. Don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, don't necessarily uh, put those two together, but it's actually quite helpful in understanding what Paul is actually talking about. Uh, be filled with the Spirit. That's a, that's a challenging understanding. Maybe you've wrestled with, what does that actually mean? Well, part of how he describes it is by way of contrast. Don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. And so you th think about uh, a, a person who gets drunk. Uh, the alcohol has this profound effect, this profound influence, but in a very particular direction. Uh, it's a profound influence where everything is twisted and distorted. Right? Our, our thinking is distorted by the effects of alcohol. It's slowed. It becomes irrational. Our feelings are distorted and amplified in, in unnatural ways. All those common sense inhibitions that keep you safe ordinarily, they begin to disappear under the influence of, of lots of alcohol. And so it's, it's, it's a twisting. It's a profound influence uh, but a twisting of it, and this is why, of course, we do things that are stupid and dangerous and immoral, uh, saying, th saying things like that, doing things like that. All under this influence, you end up acting and thinking in ways that are quite the opposite of the way you were designed, created to be. And so uh, the profound effect uh, of, of drunkenness is a dehumanizing of us. Right? We become more like animals sometimes worse. Uh, the influence is powerful, but it's a dehumanizing. So how is that the contrast to the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit has an equal powerful influence, but in quite the opposite direction. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, fully God, uh, he is a person, so he's a he and not an it, uh, the Holy Spirit is described to us all the way back in the beginning when God creates the world. Remember, it's the Spirit of God that is hovering over the waters. Uh, the Spirit is that which fills uh, the, the man to bring him to life, the breath of life, the Spirit of life. So the, the Holy Spirit is the Creator Spirit. And in the work of salvation, the Spirit is doing that same creating, only now it's a recreator. Right in the fall, uh, our humanity is darkened and tarnished and, 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 and broken. And now in salvation, the Spirit is recreating. Uh, he's making us truly human again. Um, think, think about the, how Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about that from Galatians a month or so ago. Right, The fruit of the Spirit here is the impact, the influence of the Holy Spirit's work in an individual's life, a believer's life, and Paul describes that fruit with this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about that list. Isn't that a good description of what we were really created for? That is, that is true humanity, what we were created for created to be and to do, uh, and that's the influence of the Spirit. And it's the exact opposite of the influence of, of drunkenness, 
where there's the dehumanizing and the animalistic influence, now the Spirit, in contrast, makes us truly human again. That brings about into our lives what we were truly created for, a holiness and a goodness that reflects and mirrors the holiness and goodness of God himself. You start to see the contrast? Do not be drunk with much wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, well, uh, the, the context helps us. Paul has already said in Ephesians twice uh, that believers are those who are sealed with the Spirit. So every believer has the Spirit dwelling in them. That is how we come to faith in Christ. Uh, the Spirit changes our hearts Now, the Spirit seals us as belonging to God and protected by Him. And so every believer has the Spirit, and you don't get half the Spirit or one-third of the Spirit. So whatever the filling of the Spirit is, it's not somehow getting the other half of the Spirit that you didn't have before. You have the Holy Spirit. So it involves, whatever it involves, is an embracing of what God has already given, an amplifying of its effect, of His effect. It also, it can't refer to some second uh, mountaintop extreme blessing kind of situation. Because Paul here uses the present tense verb, which is an ongoing action. In other words, it's not just one time dramatic thing. It's be continually filled with the Spirit. That's the, that's the sense of the language. Be continually filled with the Spirit. While we're talking grammar... It's also helpful to note that the verb here is passive. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, we're not the ones doing the filling. But yet we're active in it. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. So it's something that God has already given, someone that God has already given, and that you yet we embrace the fullness of it, depend and seek Him. What does that look like? Well, part of what it looks like, I think we're helped by uh, the parallel passage in Colossians. Uh, We read that in our scripture reading earlier. You see it on your page three there, just right above. And and maybe you notice that that the language that Paul uses in these two passages is almost identical in places. Paul wrote Colossians and Ephesians at the very same time, in the same place. And, And much of the language is very, very similar. He's saying a lot of the very same things. And this is one of the more exact parallels. Uh, But it's interesting to note what Paul says in Colossians uh, in the very same place where in Ephesians he says, be filled with the Spirit. But in Colossians he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So in where Ephesians it says, be filled with the Spirit, in Colossians it is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ. The the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, the God breathing out, the the very Spirit's work. Uh, Paul, in in, in Colossians, says, "Here's here's what it looks like. You let that Word dwell in you richly. You're you're embracing it. Same kind of idea. Uh, Something God does. He fills you with His Word, but you're embracing uh, and dwelling it. And in Ephesians, it comes out as uh, be filled with the Spirit. So this is a key way, it seems, we obey this command. Uh, to be filled with the Spirit by embracing His Word. Here's how one theologian, much smarter than I, puts it. He says, 
The way in which we obey the command to be filled with the Spirit is by responding to the Word of Christ, making room for its influence, giving our minds to its truth, our hearts to its teaching, uh, our wills to its obedience. To be under the influence of the Word is to place ourselves under the Lordship of the Spirit. That's Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, but, but perhaps you can get the idea. Uh, part of the way that we, we embrace this command and seek to live out this idea of being filled with the Spirit is by embracing the very Word of Christ. That this, this Spirit speaking uh, in the Scriptures, we embrace it and take a hold by that Spirit's power of His, of his very Word. Well, Paul spends a lot more time actually explaining how this ends up lived out, in, in how it ends up being expressed. So if you, you still find yourself a little bit confused with what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, uh, it almost seems like Paul says, okay, focus on this, which are the four things he says uh, act as the expression of this. Here's what this looks like in the life of the Christian, and that's verses 19 to 21. Here's how we live, live this out. 19 to 21, uh, four different things. The first two go together because they're all about singing. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So the context, clearly, it's God's people gathered together, worshiping the Lord, and in the, in the midst, singing. Uh, filled with the Spirit, God's people singing. And notice he mentions singing with two different audiences in mind. Singing to one another and singing to the Lord. Both of them. Now, it's, it's the latter one, the singing to the Lord, that we more naturally think of, oh yeah, that's worship. Uh, we, we sing God's truth, we sing God's promises, we sing God's praises, and he's the audience. We sing to him as his people, praising him and worshiping him and adding our voices to the angels above who worship him uh, face to face. Uh, we sing to the Lord, God is the audience. Absolutely. And that's what we do. Uh, each time we gather together and lift up our voices in song. But Paul says, that's not all we do. And in fact... If that's all we're thinking about, we're missing something. Key that the, the spirit-filled individual and the spirit-filled church is to be about. Not just singing to the Lord, but also singing to one another. Right? Addressing one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you and I show up on Sunday because we need to sing to one another. We need to sing to one another. I need to hear you sing to me, and you need to hear me sing to you, and every combination in the room. Uh, this is why it's, it's helpful that, that in the midst of worship, we very regularly keep our eyes open. Sometimes we get the, the sense that, that the real, like, focused, devout worship is kind of like, turn the lights down, have your eyes closed, me and Jesus. Oh, yeah. Okay, I get it, and that's not wrong per se, but it's not just you and Jesus. Uh, it, eyes open, lights on, you start to see brothers and sisters in the room. And that's a part of why you're here. 
And, and with your eyes open, you'll start to fill in the details. Uh, because you know your brothers and sisters and are getting to know them, Lord willing, more and more. And so in the midst of singing of the Lord and his promises, uh, you see that, that brother who, wow, you know lately he's just been through the ringer. And you see him. And you see that sister over there. And she's, through the course of her life, just faced one trial after another. And you get to sing to them. You get to sing of the Lord's truth. You get to sing of the Lord's promises. And you are singing to them. Now, you're saying with that, that song of praise, hang on, brother. You're saying to that sister, it's true. Uh, you can believe it. You can put your life on these promises, on this God, on his salvation, on his safety. It's true, sister. And you're saying to them. And they need to hear it from you. And you need to hear it from them. Uh, in the midst of all your struggles with being discouraged or, or maybe your fears about what might be around the corner for you, you need to hear that brother and that sister sing to you. You need to hear their voice speaking forth God's promises, speaking forth of Christ's salvation, speaking forth of, uh, singing forth of, of, of God's goodness and his love, so that with their voice speaks to your hearts and encourages you. And that's what the Spirit is doing in the midst of his people gathered together. We lift up our voices and we're praising God filled with his Spirit, but we're also singing to one another, encouraging and being encouraged uh, the Spirit's work in the church. But Paul's not done. He gives two other ones. Uh, quickly, he also says uh, that filled with the Spirit, we are giving thanks always. This is verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so you can see how this ties in with, with singing uh, to the Lord. We're, we're giving thanks to God always, whether it's in, in formal worship or even just privately. Giving thanks to God. Always for everything. Giving thanks to God. Always for everything. Now, he's not talking that every little thing that you see is good. Uh, so it's not saying... Oh, wow, God, I really love that little coronavirus. He's great. Or, uh, or how wonderful terrorism is. That's just fantastic. It's not that. Uh, but it's in the midst of that, giving thanks to the Lord, even there. Uh, because you know, again, understanding what the will of the Lord is, you know that God uses even the ugliest and darkest and most evil things of this world. Though the, though the powers of darkness mean for evil, God works it for good. And so you're giving thanks in the midst of that. Lord, thank you for preserving your people in difficult times. Lord, thank you uh, that, uh, that Christ came and overcame the world. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining me through, a, through another week, another day, in everything, thanking the Lord always. And one more expression of uh, of, of the spirit-filled life, Paul says, uh, the spirit-filled walk expresses itself in submitting to one another. This is verse 21, uh, where in many ways this is an introduction to the next section, as Paul's going to get into specific relationships within the church and the family, 
expressions where there's positions of authority, uh, and, and he's going to hash that out for us and what that looks like for believers. And this is both the introduction to that uh, and also connecting back to what he's been talking about, about walking carefully and being filled with the Spirit. And he brings in this notion of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, we're going to talk much more about this in the weeks ahead. Uh, but what it means is, even in the midst of relationships, human relationships, where uh, God appoints positions of authority and those under authority, even there, Christ is the ruling factor. Uh, and, and so we, we think and are absorbed out of reverence for Christ and, and who he is. We think in Christ that leadership looks not like the Gentiles do it, uh, not where authority is for lording it over, uh, but, but instead, in those relationships, it's the path of Christ. The one who came not to, not to be served, but to serve. That's how he led and exercised uh, authority. And we, in his name, seek to, uh, even in the midst of uh, exercising authority or in the act of being under authority, we are those who think uh, the way of Christ, the mind of Christ. Not thinking to our own interests, but seeking the interests of others. That's the way of Christ. More on that in the ways in the weeks ahead. But speaking of the way of Christ, uh, that's a good place to be in to bring things together. Can you look over this list and see this is Jesus? This is the life of Jesus described. That Jesus is the ultimate one who walks carefully. That above all, this describes him. You think of Jesus coming uh, in his in his earthly life, and isn't he the one who redeems the time, uses every opportunity uh, to to advance the kingdom, all the way up to giving his life and redeeming us all? Uh, isn't he the one who, at every point, is understanding and doing the will of his Father, even to that point where it cost him everything, and he knew it, uh, his his. Desire and prayer was, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus, the one who is, uh, all, who is the epitome of filled with the Spirit. Uh, the Father pours out the Spirit uh, upon Christ there in his baptism, and it's, and it's with him and empowering him all the way to the cross, raising him up at the final day. He is the ultimate one uh, who is filled with the Spirit. And Jesus does all of that for us. This is, this is why he's that, he's that safety cable uh, that you're clipped to. Because he did it perfectly. And you won't do it perfectly. Uh, you've already, and I've already, uh, have, have failed. And we would fall if it were just us. Uh, but because Christ has done it perfectly, we have uh, the safety in him. It forgive, it's our forgiveness for our failures. But it's also the strength uh, to walk in that same road. Uh, he's not just keeping us safe, he's transforming us into his likeness. So because he did it perfectly and, and blazed that trail through the obstacle course of this world, he's going to take you along with him. Uh, he's going to transform you more and more into one who is wise, uh, to one who understands more and more the will of the Lord. Jesus is going to more and more help you understand what it means uh, to embrace his word and cling to the, the Spirit's work in your life and, and walk in a way that praises God and sings to others, uh, that gives thanks always, that submits to one another, 
in the body. He's making you like himself. And so as we focus on Jesus, uh, we find our safety, but we also find the path where to walk. Uh, And let's be encouraged as we do that together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are wise and you are good, and your rescue is our very hope. We do pray that you would teach us what it looks like to cling to Jesus and to walk in his ways. Lord, uh, we thank you for this good and gracious calling, and thank you for the life we have in him. And so we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.